Last week we started a new series of messages that I've titled, This Is Us. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at who we are as a church and where we're going over the next few years. And so in this, we're spending eight weeks looking at our mission, our vision, the process, how we accomplish that mission, vision. We're, we're going to be looking at ministries that are involved. And so I'm spending this time in this series unveiling some ministries and trying to set a direction for us as a church as we approach our 15th birthday, the first weekend in November. And I remind you to make sure you have that blocked out on your calendar that first weekend in November. There's a lot of activities coming together for that celebration, our 15th birthday on, on November 2 and 3, that Saturday and Sunday. And so block out that weekend. Say, I want to participate in the ministries that will be here for us as a church. But right now, we're looking at our mission, our vision, trying to set that future. Because someone once said a vision is a picture of a preferred future. In other words, we need a vision. We need a direction, a preferred future of where we're going. A compelling vision is a picture of that preferred future that moves us to action. And so we as a church, through, through working together with our Next Step team, our elders, our, our staff, working through our small groups ministry, um, hearing from you, we, we are now starting to lay out this direction and saying this is the future that we see. This is the preferred vision that we're going to gather around and work towards. P.K. Bernard said, a man without a vision is a man without a future. A man without a future will always return to his past. I believe that's true. we got to be looking forward, not looking backward. When you're driving your car down the road, yes, you peek in the rearview mirror, but you don't steer at the rearview mirror. You're always looking down the road, the future, where am I going, where am I headed? If not, what happens? You're going to end up in a terrible crash. It's good for us to look back and say, well, what's happened over the last 15 years of the church? And I like to reminisce about some of the different times. Oh, when we were in the machine shop. Oh, when we were in a school. Oh, when we were having 40 people in someone's houses. And that was a, that was a small group because we didn't have enough houses yet. I, I like to rem reminisce and remember that. But we don't want to live in the past. We want to look forward to the future. And that's what the heart God puts inside of us. Clyde E. Keith said, a knife cuts because it has a narrow focus. A knife cut because it has a narrow focus. That's what we're doing. We're bringing into a, a narrow focus for us as a church looking for the future. You think about cutting a sandwich. If you said, hey, you got you got something to cut a sandwich with. If I pulled out a sledgehammer and said, hey, go cut the sandwich, you'd look at me like I'm crazy. Because what's a sledgehammer going to do? It's going to destroy the sandwich as you put it down on a sandwich. But a knife would cut that sandwich so nicely as you prepare that for a meal. See, I, I'm putting on my prophet's mantle, so to speak. Coming to the point in the pulpit where I'm being a seer and I'm telling you what I see for you in this church. Not just from Brian Bolton, though. From those who have gathered, our leadership teams, the church, the brainstorming event we had this past spring, what our growth groups have been part of, and been listening and saying, okay, where are we going? What am I hearing from our church? Where are we headed? What direction are we going into? And so now it's time for me to bring this forward as a church and say, all right, church, here's what God has put upon our hearts, the best I can bring that together, and where we're going and what he wants us to do. One famous proverb says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained or they perish, but happy is he who keeps the law. 
where there is no vision. We need a vision of a future. We need a vision of where we're going. And he says, but if you don't have that, then you perish. But he says, happy is he who keeps the law, and the law is God's word. And so the vision that we have, we want it to come from God and his scriptures. And when we keep that, it says we're happy, we're blessed, there's joy, there's contentment in life because you feel like you have a purpose and you're walking in God's purpose. I believe that there is a deeper hunger and a desire that is growing in our country among Christians for revival. Do you believe that? You all with me? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is doing something inside of Christians that says, I want revival in this country? At least not ahead. You with me on that? I believe that there is a desire growing in us. As I go about and I talk to other Christians, I talk to other pastors, I see other church leaders, and as I talk amongst our church, we're saying, what is going on in this world? And we're saying, the Lord has got to do something or He's got to come back. I mean, it's to the point saying, Lord, I need a revival in this country or I need the Lord to take me home so I don't have to deal with what's going on in this world. And I hear that kind of conversation more and more. We're saying, we want something to change. There's been seven great revivals. They're called Great Awakenings through history. And I think we're on the cusp of either an eighth revival or we're on the cusp of the Lord returning. And quite possibly, He could do either of those here in our lifetimes where we get a chance to be part of that. I believe that's happening because this world is in such a mess. And Christians are, are waking up and going, we can't play the game of Christianity anymore. We've got to really be about our business. I believe it's not just the preachers. I believe it's not just the church leaders. I believe it's all Christ followers. And my hope is that you'll find this series so compelling that you'll say, what's my next step in Jesus? What, what do I need to be doing in his kingdom for his church and for his purposes? See, vision is the bridge that brings together the present in the future. And without it, we perish or we go unrestrained, as the New American Standard Bible puts it. Vision gives us a, a, a purpose and, and gives us pain a purpose. See, when we go through pain, it gives us purpose and it gives us a purpose to look forward. Those without a vision spend their lives taking the path of least resistance, trying to avoid conflict. But when you have a vision and you have a dream, you say, I'm going to go there, you'll, you'll work your tail off for that. When someone says, well, I'm going to be a doctor, who signs up and says, man, put me in about $250,000 worth of debt, I'm going to go to school for the next 10 years, I'm going to stay up late and, and have to study and, and do all this because it's going to be so much fun. Almost nobody. They have a vision, though, that I want to help patients. I want to help heal people. And so I'm willing to go through 10 years of school. I'm willing to put $250,000 of debt or whatever it may be. I'm willing to go through the late nights of study and go through all the hard work because they have a vision for the future. They're willing to go through the pain. And I want us to have a vision for a future that it might take some pain, but it's going to take some pain. And we say, you know what? I'm going to make some adjustments. I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to do that. See, the level of sacrifice that a vision requires will determine the size of the people who follow. And I don't know that I wouldn't want to be about a church or be involved in a church if we didn't say we're going somewhere and we're going to work hard towards it. I don't want to be part of a church who says we're going to go tackle some mountains for God. We're going to go take some land back away from the evil one because sacrifice separates the small from the great. It will take sacrifice. Last week we started by talking about the kingdom-focused church. See, a kingdom-focused church is a church that exists to transform unbelievers 
into Christ-like believers and mature those believers into kingdom multipliers of the message of Christ. Think about that statement for a moment. What it means is we're willing to meet people where they are. Whatever stage of life they're in, we're willing to meet them where they are, introduce them to Jesus, help them come to make a decision to follow Jesus, help them to grow in Jesus, help them then say, I'm going to go in the world and help other people meet Jesus and become multipliers or helping other people become followers of Jesus. Today, I think, might be one of the most important messages in this series of eight messages. Really laying out a foundation. Often churches have a corporate mission and vision and ask everyone to sign on. And I think we should have those items as a church. And we're going to be talking about that today. But God has not only vision for us as a church, but he has a vision and a dream and a purpose for you as an individual. And I don't believe you're here by accident. You have heard me say that more than once if you've been around this place. I believe that every Sunday you walk in these doors is because God has brought you here. I think He wants you here every Sunday. Sometimes we don't always listen to the nudge of that voice, but when you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it, He has you here on purpose to be part of this. A big part of our church's vision is to help you reach the purpose and the vision that God instills inside of you. What does God want to do in you? Who does God want you to be? What does God want to do with you? We want to work with God to see that happen. And I believe God has so much more for all of us. Today I'm talking about what we see for our church. Did you hear what I said? Whose church is it? It's our church. One of the things that drives me crazy is occasionally someone will say to me, well, pastor at your church, please, don't say that. It's not my church. This is the Lord Jesus Christ's church. We are part of it. And so this is our church. We are together in this journey. We are part of the same team. We are partners. We are owners. We are not just attenders or attendees who say, well, I go to the church over there. No, we are the church and it's our church. And together we're going on a journey. And part of this vision is being captured from the body of center point to say, this is where we need to go. This is ground we need to take. So what does God want to do with us? I think God wants us to get on fire. I, I think God wants us to live on purpose. I think he wants us to approach our mission and our ministries unapologetically. I think as we go after our mission and we go after living out the vision that he instills in us, and as he gives us ministries, we go after them without apologizing. For example... We go through and we say, we're going to take this ground and there's going to be some pain or there's going to be some pushback. That happened this week. Some of you received the emails and a text message just telling you that KSR Radio is going to be promoting generosity feeds and we put it in our social media channels. We blasted it out there saying, listen in, listen in because they're going to do some coverage for us. And I get an email back. I can't believe your church wants to be on the radio. Is this all about your church and how good your church can be and how big your church is going to be? And I want to go through the computer and just shake them. And as kindly but also as firmly as I could as a pastor, I wrote back and said, we will be unapologetic when we come to rescuing children and feeding kids. We cannot apologize for the ministries that God guides us into and that he leads us into. 
as He leads us, we must go no matter what the pain may be or the difficulty may be. And that's where we're heading as a church. And so we want to dive in and look at our mission. We're going to do a little upgrade, so to speak. How many people have to upgrade their apps on their phones? All of us, right? If you open up my phone, I think it says I have 60 apps to update because I hate updating them and it takes forever and I just let them go forever and I'm like, ah, I should hit it tonight and let it do its thing. So we're doing kind of an app upgrade to our mission and our vision. We didn't want to scrap the whole thing, but we said, you know what? We can fine tune. We can, we can get more precise in what we're doing. And so with our leadership teams here, we've come down and said, okay, let's retool a little bit how we say some things and how we're going to teach the church on how to live this out. And so our mission, how we're going to start saying, is that we help people find and follow Jesus. That is the mission of Centerpoint Christian Church. Will you say that with me? We help people find and follow Jesus. Let's do that one more time. We help people find and follow Jesus. Most of us can probably remember that. We help people find Jesus. We help people follow Jesus. I want to dive in deeper on this simple statement. I think it's a simple statement, but I believe it's a compelling direction and vision. See, when we understand our mission, the vision, the how-to will make a lot more sense. See, it's all about making disciples who will make disciples. That's what we're talking about. We're trying to figure out as a church, how do we live out that great mission that Jesus gave us? Matthew 28, let me go back to it. We've talked about this verse several times through through the years, but we need to Dive back into it. Jesus says to disciples, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. He says, listen, my Father God has given me the authority. So he said, I'm giving him marching orders from who? From God. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He says, listen, God has given me the direction of what to do. And so I take all that authority. I tell you, here's what we're going to do. But I'm going to be with you as you go about this to the very end. Now, you're going to spend some time diving in deeper than that in your growth guide this week and with your growth group. But the main verb there is make disciples. You've got to see that, church. What are we supposed to do? Make disciples. That's the action. It's imperative. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. This is not the great suggestion. It's the great commandment. The the other verbs, go and teach and baptize, are all participles that modify that main verb. So in other words, this is what we're supposed to do. Here's how you do it. So the command, make disciples, and we do it everywhere, is by teaching and baptizing, and that's our mission. But as you study other scriptures, there's plenty of scriptures. You go to John chapter 1, we're going to John chapter 4, Luke chapter 15. There's so much in there about finding, about seeking, about looking. You go to other places where the Apostle Paul never left the church alone. He always was guiding them. Here's how you follow. Here's how you grow. Here's how you more walk in step with Jesus. And so we bring all those together, and we say that our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus by making disciples. We help people find Jesus. This is our mission. Why? Because the Lord gave it to us. This doesn't come up because we sat in a room and had a meeting and said, oh, this will be our mission. It doesn't come up because we read some document. It comes up because it's right in Scripture. And this comes before the vision because it's of greatest importance. Our vision then will show us the plan that we will live out of how we make that happen. And no matter what else we do and how good it may be, if we don't do this, then we have failed to do our mission. For instance, because we've been talking about generosity feeds so much, 
If all we do is feed children and don't have an avenue of helping the partners who are coming along and, and have a way of introducing people to Jesus and telling people about Jesus, then all we're doing is being a good organization that's providing some food. We don't do it because of that. We do it because we love Jesus. We want people to be fed, yes, but we want them to know Jesus. And so that's the bridge that we are building. See, I see us having a laser focus. And that's what we need to create around Centerpoint, that we help people find and follow. And that permeates everything that we do. So when we talk about having a kids camp, how are we going to help people find and follow? When we talk about having a worship team, how does that tie in to being a church that helps people find and follow? This morning, our volunteers gather to pray. We do that every week before we um, have church services start. And everyone who's volunteering in the morning, we gather to pray. And I looked at everybody and said, listen, you get a little bit of a head start in today's message. And we talked about this statement purposefully, that what we do as we volunteer is we're helping people find and follow Jesus. When you come and you play the piano, you're not just playing songs. The person's not just playing songs just so we have some music. No, what you're doing, you're helping somebody who's on a journey with Jesus to find because music speaks to the heart and you're helping them find Jesus or you're helping someone who knows Jesus to continue in their following of Jesus. Or if you're making coffee out there and it's your job that week to make coffee, you're not just making coffee to have coffee. You're helping people that can maybe grab a cup of coffee and have a good conversation that hopefully will lead to someone finding and following Jesus. If you're out there greeting at the front door and you're shaking someone's hands, you're putting a smile on your face, what you're doing is someone comes in here, you're going, you know what? I'm helping them feel welcome, so hopefully they'll find and follow Jesus. You're back there changing a diaper. You're playing to the two-year-olds or three-year-olds or four-year-olds or six-year-olds or 15-year-olds. You're helping those kids know that Jesus cares about them. I know one reason why I stayed in the church is because of adults that cared for me. I never forgot about Rick, who was the gum guy at church. And we'd all go up to Rick. Rick, can I have a piece of gum? Can I have a piece of gum? He'd pull out a stick of gum. He'd tear it in half. Here's a half for you and here's a half for you. But every week, Rick was out there handing out gum. That made an impression because Rick cared about the kids in the church. What we do, we help people find and follow Jesus. It should permeate everything that we do. I want to ask you a question. I really want to ask you to think about this for a second. Don't answer out loud. All right, This doesn't have to be a time of confession except for between you and the Lord. And I ask you this question because in preparation, I came across this question and it was one of those questions that kind of hit me between the eyes. And I was like, i got to stop on that question for a little bit. I really need to wrestle with it as your preacher. I just need to really wrestle through this question. And I'm, and I'm, not, and I'm not done wrestling with it. I'm sure I'll continue to wrestle with it. And some of you guys are probably going to throw the question back in my face at some point and go, wait a minute. Do you remember when you sat at the pulpit and you asked us that question? I, I, I know it's coming. So this is a accountability moment for all of us. Let me ask you this question. Are you... Are you scratching and clawing for every soul possible? You think about that question between you and God. We can put it as a we. Are we, because we are the church, but it's also an individual question. Are we, are you scratching and clawing for every soul possible? that came across my study this week, and it just kind of pierced right to the depth of my heart going, am I really? Am I re or, or am I letting fear stop me at the restaurant when I have an opportunity to speak up and talk to someone about Jesus at the restaurant? Am I letting fear stop me when I'm going through the grocery line? I have a chance to have a conversation with the person running in the register. We were having our prayer time this morning, and one of the people volunteers said, can I tell a story real quick? 
They said, I was going through the grocery line the other day, and uh, there, the lady in front of me was having a conversation with the lady at the register about how she's going to be going to church. And she said, yeah, I'm going to be going to church because this person came through and invited me, and they handed me their bulletin. And since they were so loving and so kind, I kept their bulletin. I want to go because that sounds like it would be a great thing to do. When's the last time you purposely invited somebody? When's the last time you grabbed off some of the invite cards that are on our cafe counter every single week right by the coffee pot? When's the last time you put a couple in your wallet and started praying, Lord, give me somebody to invite? Lord, give me the faith to invite. When's the last time you pulled out your bulletin and said, hey, I'd love to have you come to church with me? When's the last time that you say, you know what, I'm doing everything I can to help somebody to come to know Jesus? See, that's a piercing question because it then questions, do we really believe that all people matter to God? Do we really believe the songs that we sing when we're like, oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, you're so great. We're singing that song about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. We're singing all about that. And we're like, oh, this is so great for me. There's a piercing question when we say, wait a minute, have I told somebody else about this truth that I sing about and that I worship about and that we'll commune about here in a little bit? It's a piercing question. Jesus died for people because he cares so much about them. What, what does it mean for us? And, and I'm guilty. You get caught up in the rat race of life, get caught up in fear, get caught up in doubt. For whatever reason, I'm not going to open my mouth. I'm too busy. I got this going on. I got that going on. Jesus gave up everything. Do people matter that much to us? See, if we're really going to get on fire for the mission and live on purpose of helping people find and follow Jesus, then we have to come to grips and wrestle with that question. Like, how much do I really care that my friend or my neighbor or my coworker who doesn't know Jesus, if they don't come to know Jesus, then they're going to live in a separated eternity from God, and the Bible calls that place hell, a place of torment. Do I really care that people's destiny is that? See, in the book of Acts which is the beginning story of the church, because we actually are living in the days of the book of Acts right now, the story of the church. Paul is described someone who risked his life for Jesus. And when you read through the book of Acts, Paul repeatedly laid it on the, on the line for, for one reason, to make disciples. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned with rocks. He was left for dead. Why? Because he believed that all people matter to God. He was scratching and clawing for the souls of people. He was was giving it all up. See, I see us ramping up our efforts to find people and help people follow Jesus. I see us scratching and clawing for every soul because we love them and we know that they matter to God. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, it's really not all that hard. We make it much harder than it is in our mind. We help people find, tell, and bring. And all of us can do this. That plan is right in Scripture. In John chapter 1, Andrew meets Jesus. The first thing Andrew did when he met Jesus was he went and found his brother Peter. He tells him that he found the Messiah, and he brings him to Jesus. He's like, I met Jesus. You need to come. Grabs his hand, takes him to meet Jesus. Later then, when Philip meets Jesus, he finds his friend Nathaniel and tells him that he found the Messiah. And he asks a question, who is he? Well, he's Jesus of Nazareth. Can anyone good come from Nazareth is the discussion that they say, well, how can something good come out of that? 
And he says, you got to come and see. So Philip takes Nathaniel, his friend. You come see Jesus. And he brought him to Jesus. You flip over to John chapter 4. After the meeting with Jesus, the woman at the well went back to her village. Here's a woman that was filled with sin. She finds her neighbors. She tells them, she's, listen, you got to come see this guy. He told me about everything I ever did. And she brings them to meet Jesus. Let me ask you, how many of you in here have family members? Most of you are awake and you're with me. Some of you are ignoring. I would say all of us have family members. How many of you in here have a neighbor? Most of us have neighbors. Now, a few may not because you're like, man, I live way out in the boonie somewhere, you know, but most of us have neighbors. How many of you have coworkers, people that you work with? How many of you have classmates, people you see in school, right? Most of us in this room, unless you live under a rock, are interacting with people every day at some level. You have relationships with people. You have family members. You have friends. You have neighbors, just like in our text here. Andrew says, brother, come on, you got to see. Philip says, Nathaniel, friend, come on, you got to see. The woman at the well says, neighbors, community, come on, you got to see. And they drag him to Jesus. In each and every story, they find someone they love. That person, they say, come on, I got to tell you about Jesus, and you need to meet him. And they take him, take their friend, take their neighbor, take their brother, and they say, here he is. We may be doing that for somebody. Now you say, wait a minute. They could, in, the, in those stories, Brian, that you're talking about, they took them to physical Jesus. And they could stand right, behind, right before Jesus and they could look at him and go, well, look at he has skin on. Look at I see his feet. Oh, I see his sandals. Oh, I see his hair. Look, I can touch him. And we say, how do I do that today? Because I can't help people do that. That's why the church works together. And that's why you say, hey, come with me to my Bible study. Come with me to my church and meet some other people who have met Jesus and see their lives that have been changed as you tell them about your life that has been changed. Every single one of these people in the council said, I met Jesus, something's different in me. And we can do the same thing. We say, look, I've met Jesus, something's different. Come with me and meet him. Where do you meet him? We meet him together as we gather together in the church. That's why it's so important what we do as we gather in Bible studies, and we gather in worship because we help other people see and meet Jesus by how we live our lives. We find someone we love, we tell them what we know, and we say, you, come with me. And sometimes physically by grabbing their hand and saying, I love you too much for you not to hear about Jesus. And we bring them along. See, it all starts with love. It all starts with love, that we love God so much that we're going to live out His purpose and His plan but then that we love others so much that, we're, that when they're far from God, we're like, i got to bring you along. Who in your circle of influence, who in your network of friendships are not walking with Jesus? See, in Acts chapter 27, we find the story of Paul's shipwreck when he's being taken to prisoner in Rome. I love this story. If you've never read it, you need to open your Bible to Acts and read this story. They're lost at sea. And they're in a storm for two weeks. Now, I have never been at sea in a storm. I have been on a cruise when it gets a little bit windy and the boat shakes a little bit. And I'm like, I don't like this. And the cruise is really big. Imagine being on a ship, not real big, enough to hold almost 300 people. 
Imagine being in a crazy storm for two weeks. It seems certain that that we're going to die. How are we going to get out of this storm? And then God speaks to Paul and says, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. In other words, you're not going to die at sea because you've got a divine appointment with the emperor. You're going to be okay. And God has graciously then given you everyone that you're sailing with. And he tells them that not only are you going to be okay, but so is everyone else who's sailing with you. All 275 other people on the boat who are there with him, you're all going to make it through this. It's an amazing picture to think about that you're in a storm. We just had a big storm, Dorian, go through. It's that type of crazy wind and storm as it's making its way up the coast. And God says, you're going to be all right. And so are 275 other people in that boat with you. Let me ask you a question. Who's in your boat, so to speak, with you? Who are the friends in the family of life? Who are the neighbors of life? Who are the co-workers of life who are sailing through life with you? You interact with them on a regular basis who you have not opened your mouth with and you need to say, do you know Jesus Christ? Can I tell you about how Jesus has changed my life? Would you come to church with me? Can we talk about the Bible? Can we talk about who Jesus is? However the question is that you need to use to open up the conversation, who are the people who are sailing along in life? They're in the boat with you. And you have an opportunity to say, listen, we're all going to be rescued together. I want you to take out your your message note taker there or or get a piece of paper or open up your phone. And I want you to just write down a love list. We're going to start with this today. See, if we don't get real purposeful about praying and thinking about names, then we will never open our mouths. On the bottom of your growth guide, it says love list. Who would you list that you say, you know what, as far as I can tell, I don't think they walk with Jesus. As far as I can tell, they're not a believer in Jesus. As far as I know. I'm not asking you to be a judge of someone's soul, but just as far as you know from conversations you had. And I want you to start making a list because when we start making a list, then we start praying for people. Then we will ask God to open our mouths so that we will... Share who Jesus is. What do I do with that list? Maybe you want to transfer it to a card and put it on your mirror so when you're getting ready in the morning, there's a list of four, five, six names, ten names before you. I'm going to pray for these people every single day. I'm going to pray, God, would you open my mouth so I can share the gospel with them? Maybe you're going to put that list in your car. Maybe you put your list and save it as a picture on your phone. When you open your phone, there's your list of names. You're like, I'm praying over this list of names. Instead of having a picture of my cat or my dog or my scenery that I've seen, I have a list of names right on my phone. When I open it, boom, there they are, five names I'm going to pray for. Every time I open my phone, God, bring them to you. God, use me. God, help me to open my mouth. And we start praying for people who are in our boat of life, so to speak, who are sailing along, and we start praying for them. See, most people come to Christ through the influence of a trusted friend or family member. And I see that we must be more intentional about helping to find and tell and bring people along in the journey of Jesus. Yesterday, myself and other elders were at a training all day in Cincinnati And it was really eye-telling as one of the speakers was talking about who influences people towards Christ and towards Jesus. And basically, those who are new to Christ within the first six months to a year are the ones who bring their friends. They're like, listen, I've been saved. I met Jesus. You've got to come with me. You've got to learn about Jesus. And after we've been a Christian a year, our world starts to change, and all of our friendships start to become people who are Christ followers. And most of us probably haven't opened our mouth and told someone about Jesus in years. Because most of our friends are probably Christians. 
and we just say co-workers, well, I just kind of work with them or I see them at school, but I don't have the conversation. If we're going to help people find and follow Jesus, and if we're going to scratch, and if we're going to claw, and if we're going to get serious about doing this, then we must start praying about it. Praying individually, praying as a church. That's why on your connection card, on the back of it, there's a spot there now. It's been there for several weeks that says, who are you praying for that you want them to say yes to Jesus? You put their name on there. They'll go on our prayer list. We'll be praying for them along with you. I should have 50 names by tomorrow or more. That you guys go, I filled that out. We have some names. We have some names. We're praying. See, we help people find and follow Jesus, and then we help them to understand what it means to connect, to center, to call, and to change. And that's where we're going in the next few weeks. How do we flush this out? What's the vision of this mission that we help people find and follow, but then how do we go about that? That is the decision. That's the beginning, just finding or following following is that process. See, Colossians 1.28, Paul says, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we, we present, that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. What Paul was saying is, listen, we want to find people, introduce them to Jesus. They come to decision, accept Jesus as Savior. Then we help them to grow in Christ. We help them to mature in Christ, that we can present them perfect in Christ, and that they will then go out and turn, do the same thing over and over. That's making disciples. The goal is that we're part of that helping present people mature in Christ. How do we do that? We begin by finding them. See, I see us making more and better disciples. I see my friends and your friends coming to Jesus and experiencing God's transforming power and a new life in Christ. I think it's going to be so exciting when you walk in the waters of baptism and you baptize your friend. You baptize your coworker. You baptize your neighbor because they've come to the point of salvation and accepting Jesus as Savior. I see us becoming so intentional on helping people find and follow Jesus that this place gets so exciting that we run out of room. We got to add on more services. We got to think of start thinking about how do we have enough room to put people in this place. And so I want to ask you one more important question. And a question that is very fair for us to ask: what is your next step in Jesus? What is your next step? Every single one of us have a next step. Sometimes we take some steps forward, and then sometimes we take some steps backward, don't we? And we go, i got to take some more steps forward. Hopefully we're taking more steps forward than we are backward. But all of us, matter of fact, that question, what is your next step in Jesus? I hope it starts to change the culture around here, that that becomes a question. Instead of walking in the door on a Sunday and going, oh, the Cats lost yesterday. Oh, they won today. Oh, how the football game? How the basketball? Oh, got a good recruit. What if I walk in the door and we look at someone and have a little bit of small talk and go, hey, let me ask you a question. What's your next step in Jesus and how can I help you? Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? What's your next step in Jesus? What are you walking right now? And how can I just help you take that step? And that becomes a cultural question. Why? Because as we find people, we want to help them follow. Well, we want to help them follow. They have to take a step in Jesus. And so I'm going to come alongside with you and help you do that. What is your next step in Jesus? I see us reaching more people for Jesus. I see us making more disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. When that happens, that's when revival takes place in this country. That's when revival takes place in this church is when we're all passionate about making disciples help people find and follow Jesus. Bow your heads with me.